Hello friends, future friends, haters, and ex-lovers. Welcome back to another episode of Crimes of the Heart. I'm your host, Rory Uphold. And today, I have a very fun episode for you. But before we dive in, a word about our sponsor, Osea Skincare. The holidays really seem to approach faster and faster each year. I guess it's holiday math. But it's already time to start buying gifts for everyone on your list. And luckily, Osea is taking the guesswork out of gift giving with their Super Glow Body Set. It's a limited edition box set featuring three of Osea's best-selling body care products. You get the Andaria Algae Body Oil, which I love, the Andaria Cleansing Body Polish, and a travel-size Andaria Algae Body Butter. I love body care products because I feel like, look, the skin is the largest organ in our body. Did you guys know that? The skin is the largest organ in our body, which is why I'm so into skincare because this is a show about love and I feel like there's no better way to show self-love by practicing self-care with skincare. And I often feel like we're so focused on the face that the body gets neglected. Not to say that Osea doesn't do great skincare, they do, and as you guys know, I own almost all of it. But I also own a lot of their body care and the Super Glow Body Set is truly the perfect go-to gift. It's great for people that don't know the brand. What better way to introduce someone to Osea by giving them three of their best products? And then if somebody's already an Osea fan, you're just gonna hit them with the hits, you know what I'm saying? And right now you can save 30% on the set at oseamalibu.com. Plus, I'm gonna share a discount code at the end of this for an additional 10% off. That's 40% off, that's a deal. So give the gift of glow this holiday season with clean vegan skincare from Osea. And right now I have a special discount code just for you listeners. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with the code CRIMES at oseamalibu.com. That's CRIMES at OSEA, O-S-E-A, malibu.com and use the code CRIMES for 10% off. Okay, and if you haven't rated and reviewed the show, truly, what are you waiting for? Give your girl a little love. And if you haven't signed up for the mailing list, you might want to because I have two giveaways coming up next week and the week after. The mailing list is on the website, which is listed in the show notes. Okay. Today's guest is a ball of joy. He was recently named Philadelphia's Influencer of the Year. He's a podcaster, a TikToker, and self-proclaimed gay chaos. I am talking about none other than Brand Flakes. Welcome to Crimes of the Heart. Thank you so much. I feel like the first time I saw you, you maybe crushed a couple of White Claws. Probably. Sounds like me. I specifically wanted you on the show for a, a number of reasons, but I definitely wanted you to hear this story because I feel like you are such a gay chaos, party boy, fun yeah. energy. And I feel like this is a date that like you could have potentially okay. gone on, but okay. it goes wrong. It's like the, the bad version totally. of that. Let's listen to it. A quick disclaimer. Our episodes deal with serious incidents and triggering subject matter. If you feel like at any time you need support, please do not hesitate to grab a cocktail, share this with a friend, or contact us with your own stories. We are here to listen and liberate. Contact information can be found in the show notes. 
The names in the following episode have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty. For a moment, I thought she was dead. And that was like really intense. Like I was like, oh my God, did Katie die? Like I could see that happening, you know? So for a moment, I thought she was actually dead. This is 36-year-old Ezra, a Washington native who found himself the victim of a horrifying crime. Our story takes place in Long Beach, and our crime is the worst second date of all time. My name is Ezra, and I'm going to tell you the story of the wildest two-date relationship that I have ever been a part of. It's October 2021, and Ezra like many of us, has had a hard time dating during the pandemic. And with few opportunities to meet women in person, Ezra turns to dating apps. I was on Tinder, and I meet this girl named Katie. She's very successful. She owns her own home. She owns some rental properties. You know, obviously, I'm very careful when it comes to online dating, so I do my internet sleuthing. Everything checks out. Katie has several degrees, a high-powered job, and makes hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Their first date is electric. Ezra and Katie swap life stories, hopes, and fears over several rounds of drinks before spontaneously sexing it up on a lifeguard tower. It was more of a edgy first date, I guess. You know, having sex on a lifeguard tower. Oh, brother. When asked to describe Katie, Ezra says... She's a very open person, and I, I like people who are very... I like to call them textured. But she's a heavy drinker with big feelings and unhealthy boundaries. And she is just like that whole week, just like love bombing me, like sending me dozens of texts every day. Like, oh, my God, that was such an amazing night. And, you know, hey, handsome. And oh, my God, I loved it when you did this. And like, wow, you're so funny. And looking back, Ezra admits there were a few red flags that night that I chose to ignore. That said, Katie was like a tornado that had come in and shaken up Ezra's world in the best way possible. And he was pretty smitten. It's the night of their second date, and Ezra is getting ready. The plan was to go to bars and drink and have sex. That was the plan. But when he arrives at Katie's house around 7.30 p.m., she is wasted, like extremely drunk. Ezra's admittedly caught off guard. He suggests they stay in, but Katie insists on going out. Please. They make it to their first bar and all is well, because in Ezra's words... She was a very fun drunk, right? Then Katie decides she wants to sing karaoke. So they grab a couple of scooters and head to their next stop. Despite Katie's inebriation, the date's actually going pretty well, and... She's going full speed on her scooter, and I'm, like, keeping up with her. And we're in the bike lane, and then she tries to transition up to the sidewalk because the bike lane is ending. Needless to say, Katie does not land the transition. Instead, she flies on her scooter and swan dives face-first into the sidewalk. She went from going full speed on one of those scooters to like, bam, right on her face. And she isn't moving. I like jump off my bird and I start saying like, Katie, 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 can you hear me? And Katie is completely knocked out. She is 100% KO'd. Ezra is stunned. Katie is lying on the ground, limp 
and lifeless. He bends down to check her breathing as a small crowd begins to form. There's like 12 people there at this point. Katie's face down on the concrete, and Ezra is afraid to move her. I put my fingers underneath her nose, and I couldn't feel that. I literally put my ear, and I, I could hear like... And then, that was early. He's terrified. He's trying to talk to Katie, but she's still unconscious. Then, suddenly, Katie's breathing changes. And it was erratic and sudden, like, survival breathing. Like, scary, like, weird breathing. A man from the crowd flips Katie on her back. So I'm, like, looking at her face, and her face looks like the earth punched her in the face. She's got, like, severe bruising, severe road rash all across her face. There's almost essentially, like, a crack in her face where her, like, skin was split all up and down the left side of her face. Meanwhile, Ezra keeps trying to wake Katie up. I'm just saying, Katie, 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 Katie. And finally, she starts to, like, and I'm like, Katie, do you know your last name? She's like, uh... No, what? And I'm like, do you know what year it is? And she's like, well, what is a year? In a matter of moments, the night went from fun and boozy to frightening and bloody. When the ambulance arrives, Katie's starting to form full sentences. Because obviously someone called 911. And? I was relieved when the EMTs showed up. I'm like, oh good, professionals are here. Ezra watches as the EMTs run tests on Katie, and they... Do all the tests, and by this point she's actually like pretty cogent and with it, and can like, I mean she's still drunk as fuck, but like she knows her name, she knows what year it is, she knows who the president is, she's back to being a person. They ask Ezra about his relationship to Katie, and he says... The second date with her. Eventually, the medics determine that Katie does not need to go to the hospital. The EMT people are saying... Uh, you know what? I think she's okay. I think she can go home. But... If she throws up, take her to a hospital. Ezra is concerned. He's worried that Katie is still drunk and... I don't trust that if she throws up, she's going to take herself to a hospital. So I'm just like, I'm going to take care of this person and just make sure she doesn't die. He doesn't feel like he can leave Katie and resolves to watch over her. Finally, they're back at Katie's place. I'm in a little bit of a PTSD moment too, because for a moment I thought she was dead. And I could see that happening, you know, that kind of head trauma killed her. Ezra is taking off his shoes when Katie walks into... The bathroom and just is screaming, hysterical, like a blood-curdling scream from like a horror film. Ezra bolts to the bathroom to find Katie staring at herself in the mirror. She freaks out because she sees her face for the first time and she looks terrible and all of a sudden she asks did you fucking punch me did you try to beat me up this accusation sends shivers down ezra's spine what the emts failed to mention was that katie's concussion could lead to temporary memory loss and poor katie had zero recollection of being on a scooter much less falling and i had to pull up my phone and show the pictures of the emt and the paperwork that the mta had given her ezra explains to katie that she had an accident and promises to stay with her until she's better. She calms down and eventually falls asleep, and Ezra falls asleep shortly after. So then around 1 a.m., I'm awoken to screams from the bathroom. Ezra jolts awake and sprints to the bathroom, and again, Katie is terrified by what she sees. Ezra reminds her of her accident, but Katie doesn't know what he's talking about. She's like, what the fuck? What happened? Because she forgot. Because she's heavily concussed. And luckily, I've rehearsed this now. So I pull out all the evidence. I show it to her. 
She has no recollection of me showing any of this to her. She has no recollection of anything that happened that night. Ezra is doing his best to show Katie photos of the accident and calm her down, all the while he is panicking on the inside. This is a nightmare. Eventually, Katie calms down, and they both go back to bed. However... Three hours later, I'm woken up and she's peed the bed. And, and she had a California queen. And the thing is so, I was like impressed with that much liquid. Ezra wakes Katie up so he can change the sheets. And she's like, I'm going to go to the bathroom. And I'm like, oh God. So she goes to the bathroom. She completely freaks out. We go through the whole thing again. Ezra shows her all of the evidence for the third time. And we change the sheet. We're probably like six in the morning now. He's exhausted, but too traumatized by the events of the night to fall asleep. So he scrolls Reddit and reads on his phone until Katie wakes up around 11 a.m. And she's like, oh my God, my face is going to be ruined forever. I'm like, no, it's not. Ezra assures her it will be okay. He even runs to the nearest CVS to pick up a bunch of scar creams and ointments to help her heal. I get back to her spot and and I, I'm still kind of like, I guess, holding on to like, well, maybe this is like some sort of thing that we'll laugh about one day. But when he walks back into her house, Katie's getting dressed for another night out. Ezra asks her what she's doing and why she's not resting. He's like, well, it's Halloween. I'm supposed to go to this rave tonight. And I'm like, what? And she's like, do you think I should take Molly tonight? I'm like, Katie, you're not making memories. The last thing you should do is put powerful amphetamines that fuck with your like serotonin and dopamine levels. This was not what Katie wanted to hear. And she looked at me like I was a jerk. So Ezra and Katie part ways. And later that night, he sees stories from the rave on Katie's Instagram. And though the two never went on a third date, Katie still occasionally texts Ezra. Like maybe once a month or something, she'll be like, I just thought about how embarrassing it was that I fell off the scooter. And I'm like, that's the part that you're like embarrassed about? It was easily the worst second date of his life. Oh my God. I feel so bad for him. He seems like a catch. I mean, part of me goes... He should have done some different things, for sure. He definitely, like, radiates, like, emotional people-pleaser energy. Like, there's definitely some red flags. But also, what a nice guy, because maybe, maybe honestly, it just goes to show how bare minimum things are. But I know plenty of men who would have left, been like, you're not taking her to the hospital, then she can take herself home, I'm not doing this, and... The fact that he stayed with her for so long was was the right thing to do, and I'm glad he did it. Totally. I mean, I can't imagine the three times, the amnesia back-to-back. Like, that is my nightmare. And then her being like, did you do that? Like, having no idea, looking at herself in the mirror and being That's like... That's terrifying. I also am terrified at the fact that the EMTs let her go home. At that point, I, I, I actually had a friend who drunkenly fell off a bird scooter as well, and chipped her like two front teeth, fucked up her face, and she went to the hospital immediately. So I'm confused as to like why they were like, oh, she doesn't need to go if she's concussed. Like I've never been concussed before, but like I would want a doctor to give me that diagnosis and tell me like what to do. Like going to a rave, I know when people are concussed, you're like not even really supposed to look at screens because like you have a horrible headache. So for her to go to a rave, that's like beyond reckless. Beyond. 
beyond. But that's like her party girl vibe. Like she was just a real party it's girl. It's crazy too, though, because she's a real party girl. But she like is so super successful, which, hey, I mean, same. But there's like a thin line. Like how can she like own all these properties? Like there has to be like more to the story. Like if you're acting that reckless, that doesn't necessarily match the same personality as someone who's very like with it in terms of business and building success. That's such an interesting point. Yeah. Right. Wild. I have so many more questions. <laughs> like, like, do you, do we think that like that's all true? Like, is she like was she lying to him about certain things? No, I know I know a few more details of the story. That she really is very successful. I know. Ooh. Work hard, play harder. It sounds like their first date was like really, really great. But also him saying like this second date, like he kind of knew where it was going. Like it seems like Ezra's a nice guy, but also a nice guy that wanted to just get laid. If I'm reading that correctly, like, which no shame on. If you had a great first date, sounds like hot, good sex on a lifeguard stand. Like, yeah, I would want to go on a second date, quote unquote, too. I love that you were like a date, quote unquote. That's that's not a date. Like you're you're that to me, that's like hanging out slash going out together. Like we're we're going like we're getting drunk at bars, doing karaoke and fucking. Like you're going out together. A date to me is like you're sitting down. Their first date seems like a date because they started to sit down, share life stories, and then it ended up getting really fun. But the second date seems like it was more like a scheduled booty appointment not a booty call but like a booty appointment a dick appointment a dick appointment yeah yes yeah i agree it seemed like they both like jumped in yeah he got like love bombed and was like yeah i guess there were some red flags i'm like yeah. if anybody after a first date is like you're my dream girl i'm like mm, no yeah. i'm not also like i know that this is such a complicated situation but what i would have done would like once we got back to her house i would have been like who can I call? Like, what's your best friend's number? What's your mom's number? Whoever you are closest to in life, they should be the person that is coming here to make sure you're okay because I am still a relatively new person in your life. Not a total stranger, but in some ways, yes. And yeah, that is scary when you're, she's obviously blacked out waking up next to somebody, even if nothing traumatic happens. Like, we've all been there where we woke up like, who the fuck is in my bed? That on top of peeing yourself, having a facial injury. I think that's where, where he kind of went wrong. Like, he should have brought her back to her place, gotten someone's information, been like, you need to get here right now because like, this is your friend or this is your daughter or your sister, whatever. And she needs help. Yeah, I kind yeah. of agree with that. Not blaming the victim here, but I think that he... Well, she was incapacitated. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's such a hard situation. But imagine that as a second No, that, that that's pretty awful. That would definitely rank in terms of anxiety and like, yeah. no, thank you. Have you ever had anything that yeah. relates to that? And it was also a second date. I went to hang out with this guy who was like, we had a pretty good like first hangout. We like met up in the city and there is actually, this is very similar. I like noticed as he was walking towards me, he was like kind of skipping. And I was like, okay, maybe he's just like really happy to see me. Very strange. And like within like the first few minutes, like he was telling me like where to go. Like he was like, we're going to go eat at this restaurant. So we're like walking in a certain direction. I can tell he's like, some sort of out is it, like the way he's talking, the way he's making facial gestures. I'm like, to this day, I don't know if he was wasted or also wasted and on drugs, but seemed very confused. We're walking for four flat blocks. I'm like, where's this restaurant? He was like, oh, 
we're actually going the wrong way. Let's turn around. And I was like, are you okay? Like, what's going on? And he was like, oh, well, my dad died. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, I'm so sorry. Like, when did that happen? Thinking he was like, gonna tell me like, it was a few weeks ago. He's like, this morning. And I was like, what? I'm, I'm sorry. He was like, well, it's not really like that. He's like, I don't like, I'm not close with him. We haven't talked in years, all of this stuff. And I was just like, well, yeah, like that's still a really heavy, like, why didn't you like cancel? Like I wouldn't go on a date if I found out like my biological father, no matter what our relationship, like passed away that morning. But then I was kind of like Ezra in the situation. I feel like I was empathizing and I was just like, well, what if he really needs company right now? And like, he's just going through it. And even though I don't know him on my second date, like I, I'll go to this lunch with him. Like maybe he just needs a distraction. At first I offered, I was like, listen, do you want to go back to your apartment? Do you want to like sit and talk? Like, is there anything I could do? He's like, no, I want to go to the restaurant. I was like, okay. But then his sentences, like, like weren't sentencing they were jumbled up it got to the point where when we went to the restaurant i started to get like really bad like anxiety like truly like chest pains because i was like it's one thing to be in a controlled environment but i don't know this guy i don't know like what he's on because he's on something we're in a public restaurant like i don't want him to like slip out of the waiter or cause a scene so like i'm getting like really really anxious and i'm trying to like talk to him and like ask him questions i'm like what did you do last night? Like, where did you go? And he cannot stay on track. And at that point, I was just like, you know what? I've got to get out of this situation. And I said a million times to him, I was like, I'm going to leave if you like can't, like, I don't want to be in this situation if you're not going to like talk clearly or whatever. And he was kind of just like, okay, like then go. And I was just like, you know what? I'm out of here, which may have been the wrong thing to do. But I was just like, I'm not going to put myself in this position. I don't know this guy. I've tried to be nice. I've tried to listen to him. Like, it's now causing me severe anxiety. And I don't want to be in a situation where he is going to do something that could potentially harm me. So I'm out. Did you, you ever know? hear from him again? I've seen around. Wow. But I just look at him and I just wave and I walk the other direction. This was like, two years ago now. Wild. That's crazy. Yeah, I've never had anything quite like this. I dated a guy who I realized was an alcoholic. So I'd been dating him for maybe a month or two. And there were like things about him. So he was like a layover, right? Like my final destination was this guy, Ben, who was unavailable at the moment. So I dated this other guy. We'll call him Kyle. No, I've dated a Kyle. Sorry. I, it's um shit. It's really hard. It's like choosing a color from the rainbow when you have them all. What about a Jason? Oh, I think we're in the clear. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, so I'm waiting for this guy, Ben. So I start dating Jason and there were like sus things, but I didn't care because I was like, Jason's not a forever mm. guy. So I let so much shit go. But then there was this one night he came over to my place and I cooked us dinner, tomato soup from mm. scratch. Yeah. I'm that bitch. Um, and we were watching like a horror movie and I offered him a drink and he wanted whiskey and I don't really drink brown liquor anymore. So I opened up a bottle of bullet and when he left, I realized that uh, more than half of the mm. bottle was gone. And then I went, oh, and he was going to go home. And I was like, wait, don't drive. I don't think you should drive home. And he was like, I'm fine. And I was like, yeah, but you, you're, I'm, I'm really concerned. And he was just like, Rory, I'm sober. And the crazy thing is. You think he was? He was. Yeah. And that was the moment I realized like, oh, all of these other like weird things that happened, it all clicked. I was like, oh, yeah. okay. Okay. Yeah. Now it makes sense. Well, that's the dark stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Dark date. Dark date. Dark date.
But I feel like you have probably had a lot of fun drunk dates. Or do you not drink on dates? You know, that is, I feel like, a little bit of a misconception about me. I love to party. I'm a partier, but I'm also an anxious person by nature. So, like, I get, like, my most, like, loose self when I'm in, like, an environment that I feel safe with around people that I feel comfortable with. I have had dates similar to Ezra's first date where, like, it starts off very casual and then eventually the date goes well and we start, like, having a few glasses of wine or cocktails and then eventually we get drunk together. But no, I'm not the type of person who's like ripping three shots before a date. Like if I'm that nervous, I'm not fucking going. Like when it's someone I like really like am interested in, I want to make a good first impression. So I wouldn't want to be wasted on a first date. But I have, like I said earlier, gotten drunk with a person like progressively together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, (laughs) ditto. What do you what do you think? Like, what are the best fun drunk activities for a date? Well, I don't know how to play pool, but I heard that that's a pretty good get playing pool together. You know, that episode of Gossip Girl where he's like leaning over and teaching her how to use the pool stick. I think that's pretty sexy. I love now with my boyfriend, like I love doing like a, a wax and wine, like making candles and drinking wine together. I think that that's a fun activity. What else am I missing? <laughs> I don't know. Mine always are just like I never have activities like that. Well, I don't really drink that much anymore. I used to. But occasionally, like I'll end up drinking and then realize I'm drunk and, I'm, you know, whatever at dinner or a bar or whatever. And like then that's then I probably end up naked. Truth be told. <laughs> You know, I'm like, tequila really did make my clothes fall off. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you have a number of drinks in your mind where you're like, I'm not going to go past two or I'm not going to go past three if you're like trying to keep a good impression? Yeah. If we're getting dinner, like I'm not going to go past three. Like usually I think two is safe. Get one cocktail and then like end with an espresso martini. But like, if it's going really well and the person's like, I want another round, I want another round, I'll be like, sure. And then after three drinks at dinner, like if he wants to keep drinking, then we're going to a bar. Like we're closing out. Especially, you never know if they're going to pay for the date or not. Like in gay culture, it's not very simple. You don't know if you're splitting the tab, if they're picking up the tab or if you're paying the tab. So I'm like, I'm not buying six drinks, three for me, three for you. No, 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 no. We're, we're stopping here. So that I usually am like, let's go somewhere else. And then if we want to go to a bar and have like a close saying like vodka soda usually good with that but at that point like I would always like know what direction I wanted to go in it was either one I'm interested in this person and I guess from there can then split into two things it's I'm interested in this person I want to go back and fuck or I'm interested in this person I want to take it slower and get to know them or two they had given me the ick at that point where I know I'm not interested in them anymore and I'm already planning my exit in my head what are your icks I guess on dates, someone who like talks way too much about themselves and talks about them in like a, like talks about themselves in like, like a gross, like a know-it-all way, like not confident, but cocky and like inflated ego that like is a misplaced inflated ego. Like they're not shit and they're acting like they are. That's a huge ick and a red flag for me. I would say like someone who can't hold good conversation at all, like It just seems like when we try to have a conversation, it's not going in a direction that is appealing to me. Like I'm trying to talk about something that I really like and they don't really seem to be receptive of it or they're telling me about something and they're, like I said, like kind of just talking over me. I think 
having like first dates when it's like dinner or drinks and you're like sitting down like can be really challenging but i do think you leave kind of with a good inclination of like whether you want to see that person again because you get a lot Mm -hmm. of info and like get to see how they react to certain things and how they can hold themselves in a conversation but those are probably like my biggest ex like people who like talk way too much about themselves and are super super self-absorbed and like just people who really have like no conversation skills and just seem like they're just not interested in anything you have to say. You said something very interesting on, on another podcast I heard you on where you said that it was hard for you. It, you felt like the people who were really good at dating weren't good at sex and the people that were good at sex weren't good at dating. And I related to that so hard and I would love to hear more about that. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, there's a lot of people that say you don't marry the best sex of your life. Like the best sex of your life is someone who you would never want to be in a relationship with. He like owns a motorcycle, some type of crazy shit. That's not who you end up with. I don't know if that's necessarily true or not, but I I see the thought process behind that statement. But yeah, like I would notice that the people that I was very like sexually attracted to and like had great sex with, they were not good at communicating, not good at committing, not good at wanting to basically do anything other than meet up at a certain time after three drinks on a Saturday night and just booty call bang. And then there was people who were like really sweet and really wanted to know everything about you and great conversationalists. And then you got to that germ and it just wasn't like satisfying. I don't know. Like they just were not hitting the way that you like wanted it. <laughs> Do you think that was like a skill thing or a I chemistry it, thing? It might really or... be a lot less about them and it might have been more just about me and who like my... I would like toxically get attracted to in certain situations. Like I felt like a lot of the people who were really sweet to me would also kind of like be a little too timid in bed. Like they were like really, really liked me and they didn't want to do anything crazy. And like they wanted to just have a very relaxed environment where they were pleasing me. And like, no, sometimes I want to get thrown around. Like you don't have to be super, super like docile in bed just because you're like a sweetheart. And then the opposite for people who were like crazy and like really good at sex, like we would hook up and then they would just leave. And I'm like, you're not even going to stay for a cuddle. Like you're not going to sleep over. Like what, what? Or they would kick me out and be like, yeah, you should leave. And I'm just going to like, what? Are you kidding me? So it was really hard. I think that's why I love my boyfriend because like we started off as a hookup, like And then it kind of translated into we would start sleeping over after our hookups and spending mornings together. And then we walk to a coffee shop together and then he wants to cook me dinner. Like that was definitely how my love language works. I always like kind of knew that I was like the person I end up with, it's going to start off casual because if it doesn't start off casual, if it starts off as like a pre-planned date, I ruin things with overthinking. I'm like, why are we sitting down at this restaurant? Like, does he actually like me or does he just want to fuck me? Like, I get into my own head and self-destruct. So when things start off casual and then took me by surprise that they were like starting to feel more serious, that worked for me. Interesting. Because my next question was going to be, how did you work through that toxic attraction? But it kind of sounds like mm-hmm. you didn't. You kind of got tricked out of it. I think everybody, for better or for worse, needs to experience a toxic situationship, let's say. I call that yo-yo dick or circus (laughs) dick. Like, I think everyone needs to really experience that kind of situation to then appreciate a good relationship. Like, now I I really can truly appreciate the relationship I'm in because it's nothing like the situationship that I was in. And it like helps me realize, oh, like I wasn't supposed to feel those things. Like 
that wasn't normal to be treated that way. Like that wasn't okay to let someone treat me like that. Um, and it wasn't okay to let myself treat myself like that. Ooh, yeah, say that it again. was not okay to let me treat myself like that. And I didn't realize that super deeply until I was in a relationship with someone who was giving me what I wanted and needed. So for me, I think having that horrible situationship, which was right before my boyfriend, like really fucked me up, but fucked me up in the right ways where I was like left knowing like I can't do that to myself again. And, you know, I learned a lot about myself. I needed to go through something like that to kind of be able to really appreciate a good relationship and what love should really be, which in my opinion, it should be peaceful. I love that. Yes. So you were single for 25 years. Which is crazy. Yeah, my first real relationship. But it's but it's also not. Like the thing is, is that I have realized that that's actually becoming more and more normal. Did you at 25 feel like there was something wrong with you? Like were you insecure? I was definitely insecure. But it's also like hard because like I've said this before, like I feel like when you're gay, you're like kind of five to 10 years behind straight people because you have to go through this process of realizing you're gay, accepting it for yourself, telling your family members to accept it. That can take like for some people that takes 20 years. For some people, that's really or never and they never get like. So that's a whole process in itself. And then when you're like finally out, then you have to start from ground zero of like, okay, now Everyone knows I like guys, but like, what kind of guys do I like? What, like, what kind of relationship am I going to be interested in? Like, so when I started like having those conversations with myself and like putting myself out there, I was 19 years old. Whereas my girlfriends were doing that at 15 when they were freshmen in high school. They knew what they liked and they were going out there and the straight men who liked them were already knowing what they liked. So that kind of put me back, I feel like five years. And I'm hoping now as society gets like as society gets more and more progressive, that's not going to be the case. But we're still having that trickle down effect. Like gay marriage was legalized eight years ago. It's it's crazy recent stuff. So I didn't feel crazy that I hadn't had a relationship at 25, but I felt anxious to have one. And I like remember thinking at that time, like my first relationship isn't going to be it. Like I'm down to settle for a relationship just to get the relationship experience. But then. That was only thought. When I was trying to like put that into practice, I was like, there's no way I can date someone that I'm like not really interested in. Yeah. So it, it wasn't really working like that. That's how I feel about like just like dating some dude right. that has money. It's like I, I, I can't or whatever, you know, it, sub that with whatever. Like I can't fake me being See. into anyone. What's up, everyone? I'm Delaney Fisher, comedian and serial entrepreneur. And I'm Kelsey Cook, comedian and, I swear this is real, a world champion foosball player. (laughs) On our podcast, Self Helpless, we dig into everything from heartbreak to career burnout to the wild stories from our 20s and the many anxieties we've experienced along the way. We're often joined by guests who range from celebrities to renowned health experts. And together, we'll unpack big topics like deciding whether or not we want kids, building your dream career, strengthening self-trust, and much, much more. So join us every Monday for an unfiltered, entertaining, and honest conversation with friends where you don't even have to leave your house. If you're not wearing pants, we will never know. That's right. So listen to (laughs) Self Helpless wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 
I love talking to gay men on this show because I feel like you guys have such a valuable perspective in that the world was built for you as a man, especially you as a white man. But then you also have the perspective of also being an other. You can see how the world was built for you, but then how that same world that was built for you Mm -hmm. oppresses you. Very well said. And I think that so many of the things that women deal with, with men, gay men deal with. And like you talking about it being a process and coming into your own sexuality, but also your own romantic being. I think women go through that too, in that I remember kind of growing up and thinking, oh, like I, I, I'm not supposed to really talk about guys that I've hooked up with. You kind of want to seem virginal or whatever. It's this weird line that we've been told that women need to be a certain thing. And even now we're seeing it with like the body count yeah. conversation, which if anybody ever asked me that, may they rest in peace. But I'm interested if you have any sort of like insights or advice for people listening who might still feel ashamed about their desires or just even who they are. Like I got, okay, sorry, I'm rambling. A girl DM'd me yesterday and said, hey, I'm supposed to go on a trip with my boyfriend or my ex-boyfriend, a rekindling trip with my ex-boyfriend. But I just went out with this other guy and we hit it off so well that now I don't want to go on the trip. Like, how do I get out of it? And I said to her, well, if that guy ghosts you, are you going to regret not going on the trip with your ex? Like, are you totally okay with closing that door? And and then she was like, that's something to think about. And I was like, I, I'm only asking this because like, why can't you do both? Like, why can't you go on the rekindling trip, but then also continue to date this other guy? And she was kind of like, oh, I always like feel bad about that. And I said, well, Look, if it's a moral thing, like if you feel like you're lying to people, then I don't want you to compromise your morals. But like, do you think maybe that's because you've just been programmed that women are only supposed to date one man at a time, but you don't know if they're dating Mm -hmm. three of you? And she was like, holy shit, like I I haven't really thought of that. And I was like, yeah, because I we've like actively been taught not to think like that. I think (laughs) and I've been in that girl's shoes before where like you're talking to somebody, but like you're already like kind of in a fling with somebody else. And I know this sounds like kind of fucked up to like compare like dating to like corporate, but I would always be like, if you were interviewing for a new job, you don't just put all of your eggs in one basket. You're taking interviews from a few other companies. But then at some point you have to kind of commit and be like, I'm committing to this job. They're offering it to me. I'm taking their offer and I have to send the emails to the other place that I'm interviewing that I'm no longer pursuing the position. And I think everybody when they're dating should have that kind of a mindset in their head where you're talking to people at some point, at least this is what worked for me for myself. I had to be like, I am now only going to talk to my boyfriend's name is Hostway. I'm now only going to talk to Hostway. I haven't had a conversation with him if he's only talking to me, but that is something I'm willing, I'm, I'm going to take that risk and I'm only going to talk to him. So for the first four weeks that we were talking, I was still talking to a few other people, still answering on dating apps. I found myself less and less interested in answering those people because I found myself more and more interested in answering Hostway. So eventually what I did was I deleted Grinder, I deleted Hinge, and that put me in then like a little a next phase where unless someone who has already talked to before is going to text me and reach out to me, then I'm not talking to any other guys. And there was one other guy that was like still texting me and reaching out. And I just stopped eventually answering just like, I wouldn't say ghost, but would take the conversations nowhere kind of and answer with one words and just, you know, 
there were there it wasn't going anywhere and that was something i had to consider like I don't know if Josue is doing the exact same thing. He could be talking to other people. But if he lets me know, like, hey, I'm actually seeing somebody else and that's that's what I like, then, okay, yeah, that sucks. I'll deal with that pain. But I'm going to, I have other options out there. So I think at some point you kind of have to be okay with, it. don't see it as lying. Just see as like focusing on yourself and giving yourself different options and not putting someone else's emotions before yours. Like, why does this girl feel this like horrible need to like put a guy that she's had one date, like put Kate's feelings above her own? That's not okay. She needs to be her own person. You know, you don't owe anybody anything, especially someone that you've only gone on one date with. What I also love about your story is that you said four weeks, mm-hmm. that's a month. You didn't no. overinvest. And I think one of the issues that people find themselves in is that they overinvest too soon. Yes. And we got to stop that. Yeah, it, it is. It's kind of like that. It's like love and dating is certainly like a gamble and people like want to take the chips out right away and cash in on one person. Whereas you kind of have to just sit at that table a little bit longer and, you know, figure out what cards to deal. I'm not really good with gambling and I just don't gamble, but you get the gist. Me either. Yeah. I think that we have an aversion to being uncomfortable. And I think the one of the greatest skills in life is getting comfortable with the uncomfortable, learning to sit in that, whether it's this phase, the whatever we're going to call the dumb talking phase, which to me means it's the phase where you're dating, but like you haven't deleted the other apps yet or you haven't, you know, stopped the other booty calls like that to me is like the talking phase before dating. It's the same thing where it's like people want don't want to sit in the uncomfortable feelings of a breakup or the uncomfortable feelings of rejection. We're always trying to like push through that and get to the destination. And so many of the mistakes happen in that action. I should completely agree. So you're young. I don't feel young. (laughs) That's all the vodka, baby. (laughs) Did you ever have a time in your life where you didn't have dating apps? Yes. I think probably around those like first few years where I was coming to terms with myself, I did not have any dating apps. Like, No, but I mean, they existed, though. Yeah, they existed. Like, I didn't I don't think I downloaded any dating apps until I was like probably 20 years old, because then I was like, okay. I want to try to find somebody. I was always very like, I want to find someone in person. Like I want to meet somebody in real life. I don't want to meet somebody on a dating app. And then when like kind of a few years went by, I was like, okay, I'm really not meeting anybody. I need to expand my horizons and go on dating apps. Wow. See, I've had, I had life before dating apps, but you were in high school. Yeah. When they came out. (laughs) And that's like, that's wild to me because I'm like, oh my God, how did that shape your whole life you know like I imagine with you with your girlfriends with your guy friends like I can't imagine going to high school and dealing with high school but then high school with dating apps I I wonder if high school I mean I'm sure they do if high schoolers have dating apps because I feel like it's pretty hard to date when you're like living under your parents roof and going to high school and people don't really have money like necessarily at least I when I was in high school was not living in financially independent but college Yes, that was very interesting when people would like be on dating apps and, you know, meet people that either went to their university through dating apps or at other local schools. But I was very like, I'm going to meet somebody in person. Like, I want to meet somebody at a party. Um, and it was funny because I actually did end up meeting my boyfriend at a bar. But I was slow to join that. I was like very much still like, 
I want to lose my virginity to someone super special. I wanted to be my boyfriend and I want to meet him in person. Like I had this very fictional fairy tale planned out in my head that just eventually obviously was not happening. So I was like, okay, I'm dialing Tinder. <laughs> How romantic. That's uh, that's the advertisement of the year. I had this fantasy and then I woke up and was like, oh, fuck yep. it, I'll download Tinder. I wonder if some of your ability to like, I don't want to say play the field, but like kind of take it slow comes from the fact that you grew up in a generation where options were always yeah. a thing. Well, I also think there was this like for me and I see people who still struggle with this, picking out pictures to be on your dating app. And this idea as like people perceiving you in a way of like, I'm going to swipe if I find them attractive and I'm going to swipe the other way if I don't. Like, it is really like a crazy, shallow thing at its core, but it's also very real in terms of most people in real life also don't pursue people that they don't find physically attractive to them. So there's a lot of people like when you're on a dating app, it like kind of brings your insecurities back up to the surface. You're like, oh, I think I look good in this picture, but are they going to think I look good? When you're doing Hinge, like, are they going to think that this answer to this question is funny or are they going to think I'm a certain way because I wrote this? Like, if you're, I've seen people who are super, super insecure take what might take someone two seconds to just click a bunch of pictures and upload. It could take them hours to be like, I don't really like this. You can tell that insecurities like really come to the surface and they don't want to be perceived in a certain way. That is fascinating to me. You know, that the, the, everything you've just said has never once really? occurred to me. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of for me too. I was yeah. like, oh my gosh, like I'm swiping on all these gay guys. They all look in a certain format and font. Like they all have abs. They all like have gorgeous spiky hair and they like pearly white smiles. And I look like a fat lard compared to them in a beat up old American Eagle t-shirt. That's my photos. Like, I don't want to upload these. Like, if you're not comfortable with yourself, like, that when you're making a dating app, those uncomfortabilities, it's going to rise to the surface. Yeah, that's... I used to ghostwrite for people and I used to like, I still help people make their profiles just because I feel like I'm really good at it. And yeah, it's so wild that I've never thought about how I would yeah. be perceived. I just make what I think is going to be fun or like is yeah. authentic And that's to when me. you should do it. And you should go into it being yeah. like, who can, if someone doesn't swipe left, then they're not my person. I don't want them to swipe right. But some people's fear of rejection, it's over-consuming. It's very interesting that that is such a thing. And I can imagine that it puts another layer on dating, being perceived or how you the perception, which is, as we know, social media is not real, but it's basically like adding the social media component right. to dating, which I feel like is such a shitty thing to have to like think about how you want to package yourself right. for someone else. So <laughs> in terms of this new relationship, do you think it was more about him or more about you in terms of timing? Both. I think like the timing was very much like on our side. I was coming out of a situationship and really like kind of frustrated and like almost done with dating. I was just like, okay, I'm like not going to even like pursue that. I'm just going to be a fun whore type of thing. Know it well. Yeah. And he had lived in this, in Philly, which is where we lived for a year and really was not enjoying it. It was in like a, he was in a, a career transition where he was like going to do, pursue something else. And I think he was kind of inspired by me, who I had also at that time quit my full time job, like two months before I met him to pursue content creation. So I think he really loved that. Like I was not judgmental of him, like wanting to drop his current career at 30 years old and apply for med school, which is what he ended up doing. And he was like, you're not 
scared to like talk to somebody like that. Like I'm 30 years old. I'm going to restart my whole career, go back to school. And I was like, I don't so really give brave. a fuck. I was like, I'm, I just restarted my whole career and like have a bunch of ambitions and goals for myself. Like, and I want to be with someone who's also goal oriented. I don't want to be with someone who's going to let the system kind of control them and just sit in a job that and be complicit with something that they don't love just because they think that's what they should do or they think that's what is going to get them a paycheck. So I think it was good timing in that aspect. I think we both we're very compassionate and kind towards each other, which I hadn't experienced before with dating. I think there was like a level of like, we had established, oh, I care about you pretty instantly. And it was, like I said, it was just peaceful. Like there was no wondering. I found myself in this weird position where like, it felt weird because I was like, when he would text me, I wouldn't like jump up and be like, he texted me. And at first I felt like, oh, I must not be that interested. But then I was like, no, my brain is programmed me to like only like guys that give me an anxious attachment style where I see that text as a reward and I'm like they answered me or they texted me first and like that was something I had to deprogram my mind like oh it's actually okay to like not text this guy all day and like just have like a FaceTime call at the end of the night to like catch up or something it's okay to not like crave this attention and anxious type of environment that I was so used to before and like I thought that that meant like, oh, I have a super anxious person because I would get so happy when they text me. But I was like, no, that's not good. My happiness shouldn't be dependent on like someone else's communication towards me. Like my happiness needs to be with myself. I'm obsessed with that. Yes. And I also think we cannot overstate the effect that dating apps have on our brains because dating apps all are created with the same algorithms that are used for slot machines. And so the same way you get addicted, it's intermittent right. reinforcement. And what is anxious attachment if not intermittent reinforcement? Right. It's very true. Of course, we're like primed for that like push-pull right. vibe. Yeah. So back to your question, yes. Timing was definitely on our side. Do you have any tips for dealing with rejection? It's so hard because I face like rejection every day, like in my career and certain things. And I unfortunately like have more of that attitude where if I get a hundred comments and 99 are positive and one is negative, I will find myself really focusing on the negative one. And that's something I like always have to constantly like work on. So I guess just like as corny as it sounds, it's just accepting that what isn't meant for you is going to help lead you to like what truly is like there for you, like what what's waiting for you. Every time like a door closes, I don't want to say another one opens, but in some ways, maybe like when a door closes, it gives you time to stand in a room longer to figure out what door you want to try to open next would be like my my phrase. Because sometimes that really is what happens. You have to face rejection and rather than just go and try to find something else to replace it, you have to look inwards and be like, okay, what can I fix about myself? Or what can I do differently to then, you know, create a different path for myself? I love that. I've been a creator for almost a decade now, and I am a multi-hyphenate, right? So I can get rejected as an actor, as a writer, as a director, as a podcaster, as an author, as just on social media. The first thing I ever did w went really viral. It was on the front page of Reddit, and I got death threats. My bandwidth in terms of rejection is not like right. normal people's. And so I feel like it's so hard for me to give advice in terms about like bouncing back from rejection because I'm like, well, that's sort of my skill. Like you just don't get to do our jobs without being able to tabulize rejection. Yeah. And I also think like another phrase I find myself trying to use like 
very recently too is like don't get bitter get better and like find out like what's hurting you about the rejection at its core like really deeply think like is it because you feel like you're being disrespected is it because you feel like you're being devalued and then it's like okay well how can i disprove that it's almost like it starts with the intention of i want to prove them wrong but it's really proving yourself wrong because the rejection hurts because there's a part of you that believes that you deserve the rejection so you have to then work in backwards and be like, why do I believe that? And how can I change that? And if you want to use that person rejecting you as a motivator, maybe it's not the most healthy thing, but sometimes it can have a healthy result, which is you actually prove in yourself, no, I'm not going to reject that about myself. I know my skills. And if that person doesn't want them, then that's their loss. Brad, I am obsessed with you. Oh my God, that was fire <laughs> advice. I love that so much. I hope everybody listening just took some notes. Yeah, wrote it down. I feel like I would be remiss to let you go without asking. What's the best cure for a hangover? Don't drink. <laughs> I'm saying that there's no hangover cure. If you're gonna drink like a fish, you're gonna feel like shit and you have to take it on the chin. Every time I've been extremely like deathly hungover, the night before was one of the most fun nights of my life usually. I rarely have a really shitty night that also ends with a shitty hangover. It's normally like I didn't really have that good of a night and I go home and I wake up fine or I have an amazing night, but I go home and I wake up like feeling like shit. If you don't want to be hungover, then don't drink. You're dehydrating yourself. You're probably drinking lots of sugar. You're probably doing a bunch of other shit that's not good for you. You're going to be hungover. So accept it. And if you can't, don't drink. <laughs> Iconic. Killer move. This is so... I used to like love flirting with people by like telling them like they were my crush. Like if they would text me, I'd be like, oh, it's my crush. Like, how are you? I feel like it's an answer of confidence, but like also like flattering in like a cute, flirty, sexy way. Like, oh, wow. They call me their crush. They're not like scared to tell me that I'm their crush. Like that would always when when someone would say that to me, my heart would like, I would see dick. Like, yes. And I think it had the reverse effect too. I... I'm obsessed with that because I feel like it's a way of being like, I think mm -hmm. you're hot. I'm into you without saying that, which is isn't scary. If I'm like, you're my crush, that doesn't, by the way, crushes come and go. Yes, exactly. It's like giving them just enough to inflate their ego without like also giving them all of your cards. So fire. Okay. What's a date killer? I mean, probably getting yeah. hammered, flying off a bird scooter. I would say... Definitely, definitely that. Like, definitely, like acting in any form of like extremist. So, like getting a, extremely drunk or like getting extremely political, and then having like an opposite politics views or like saying something super like extreme. Like whether it's misogynistic. I'm I'm pretty vulgar, but like something that like almost like too gratuitous. Like just like you know, your first the first dates like you should try to remain neutral. And if anything, like warm up a little bit, you can you can experiment a little with saying some loaded things. But if you're going too crazy and it's too soon, killed. What's one thing in your self-love practice? Oh, that's tough. I need to work on self-love if I'm being super honest. I guess something that I do is I feel like I'm constantly obsessed with my shortcomings rather than celebrating my accomplishments. So like sometimes I will find myself really dwelling on like small little things that are slowly eating at me and I'll step, take a step back and be like, no, remember what you've accomplished. And like almost like self pep talks, like giving yourself 
a pep talk and being like, no, you're, you are that bitch. I also just want to tell you, it's weird. Every time I ask a guy that question, they always respond with, that's something I need to work on. Very interesting. It is very interesting because I don't get that with, with, with women. And my last and final question is, what is the best love or dating advice you've ever received? Ooh, that is so tough. I think that just to put it simply, not everybody's journey is the same and not everyone loves the same way. And there's no, there's no rule book. There really is no rule book for love. If you spend time obsessing over little things, which we so frequently do over if they haven't texted you back in this amount of things, they're not interested, or if they don't do this, then it's not going to work. Like focusing on little shit, like if he wanted to, they would like all of that. You will get so dragged down by all of those little things that aren't true for every single person. They are true for some people, but they're not true for everybody. So accepting the fact that you're path to love does not look the same, does not need to look the same, and it won't look the same as your best friends or your parents or your siblings. Everyone's is going to look different. And the sooner you realize that, you start focusing on discovering what your love path will be rather than comparing what your love path is to everybody else. Comparison really is the thief of joy. Um, and it's something everybody needs to work on. But I don't think we talk enough about how like people are constantly comparing their love and their relationship and their situationships to other people around them. And it really can just just sabotage a good thing very quickly. I fully agree. I mean, I guess that's our next podcast topic. We'll just leave yeah. with that next time. So Brand Flakes, if people yes. want more of you, how do they find yeah, you? Yeah, it's Brand2 underscores Flakes, F-L-A-K-E-Z-Z on TikTok. And same thing on Instagram, just with one underscore, Brand underscore Flakes with two Zs on Instagram. I love it. And people, you 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 are constantly posting. You're going live. People can yeah. get that content. Hey guys, thanks again for listening. If you made it this far, I am assuming that you did, in fact, like this episode. So this is the part where I ask you to please follow the show, subscribe to it, rate it five stars, and or leave me a comment. Fun fact, if you're listening on Spotify right now, you can actually leave comments on specific episodes. Fun! That said, I appreciate you regardless, and I hope you have a great week. Thanks again for listening, and see you next Tuesday. (laughs) 